Hi, everybody. Welcome to this season's bonus episode of Divided Films. We're the podcast that talks about movies that audiences and critics disagree on each episode, picking a movie and picking a side. Um, with me, as always, is my co-host, Keith. Hello. And uh, today, for our bonus episode, uh, we're talking about movies. We're calling this underrated and underhated. So, in other words, movies that people like, that we think they should love, and movies people dislike, that we think they should hate, that we hate at least, uh, so basically, like, movies warranting stronger opinions. Um, so let's get actually right into it with our first pick, just to, uh, you know, make it more clear what our concept is for this bonus episode. So the first movie we're talking about is my pick for a movie that has bad reviews. People dislike it, but I think... People should hate this movie. And that is the 2018 fantasy film. A Wrinkle in Time, rated PG. Uh, this movie has like 42% approval rating from critics, and the critics' consensus on Rotten Tomatoes for A Wrinkle in Time is uh, A Wrinkle in Time is visually gorgeous, big hearted, and occasionally quite moving. Unfortunately, it's also wildly ambitious to a fault and often less than the sum of its classic parts. So based on this consensus and other reviews I've seen, I feel like people are genuinely easy on this movie, right? I feel like people were like, oh, you know, it has its moments. It's, you know, it's maybe not great, but... Mm -hmm. I th well, Ava DuVernay is. I still think she's a very good director, and I'm kind of. I'm always so curious why she chose to do. I think Disney just like, hey, uh, do you want to do a Wrinkle in Time? Like this is your first big budget, a hundred million dollar type movie, and right, she maybe said a yes. hard, a hard project to say no to, perhaps. Yeah, it raises her. It raises her. Uh, uh, you know, her character even more. Her her platform. Right. Um, yeah, elevates her, her status, elevates I guess, her, yeah. in, in Hollywood. But this movie, a little a little background on my experience with A Wrinkle in Time. Eric and I saw this in 2018 when it was in theaters, kind of impulsively. We were in the city. We had some time to kill before meeting up with people. And we're like, let's see a movie. And this was the next one playing. We thought, okay, we saw some commercials for it. Could be good. We wound up hating it. And we weren't the only ones in the theater who hated it. In fact, some people walked out about <laughs> two-thirds of the way through. And I totally understood why. And we would have walked out, too, if it wasn't for the fact that we had some time to kill. So we sat through the whole thing. And I thought after seeing this that I would see reviews online that match my opinion that would be very harsh. But instead, I saw these very middling reviews that were going kind of easy on it and i thought i was crazy i'm like am i only one who thinks this movie is really really bad and then i showed this movie to you keith and i felt so vindicated because at one point in the movie you looked over at me and you said fuck this movie and i was so happy i'm like okay great i'm not on crazy pills well uh 
for my uh, little history, it, like I, I read Wrinkle in Time back in like fifth grade when I was really getting into like uh, The Hobbit and Harry Potter and the, Chron- uh, the Chronicles of Narnia and all that. And Wrinkle Time, of course, is up there. I didn't understand it back then. I then watched this movie a couple years later to try and understand it. Like I, either the BBC or Canada or someone made this movie. It made it even more confusing. So I never like. I was curious how uh, Disney and Ava were gonna make this into a movie that's that works. And then you really, I think you were watching me watch this movie. I was. And it is a fever dream. It's still a, a confusing fever dream of a movie. But then it goes into just absolutely like terrible writing mm-hmm. and kind of terrible acting. Not even from yes. the child, the expected child actors. Actually, I think the main character watching it, I actually think she does a good job. Uh, but I think, I think Chris uh, Pine is kind of sleepwalking through this movie. Uh, yep. Oprah, I don't think was on set. I think uh, <laughs> Reese, I, I I think Reese and Mindy were flat out annoying. I couldn't stand them, and I normally love these actresses. Yes, it was yeah. crazy. I agree with you. I think the the, so the main actress Storm Reed, who has been in other really good projects, she's in Euphoria, and um, I don't, I've seen her in some other recent projects that are much better than this. I think she's a good actress. Uh, and The Invisible Man. She was in that. Yeah, that's I right. She yeah. was pretty good. So I, I don't blame her. But, oh, man, I totally agree. I mean, from bad, really bad dialogue and all, and an incomprehensible story. And I haven't read A Wrinkle in Time, so I wasn't sure is, like, the book just as, like, nonsensical and, and all over the place. I don't know. But aside from that, too, it's also really schmaltzy in a very off-putting way. And that is also being conveyed by the main adult actors, the um, the cosmic characters, if you will, played by Oprah Reese and Mindy Kalin. And I, I don't know, like they just really hammered up the whole movie. And it was at times like nails on a chalkboard for me, like especially the Mindy Kalin character whose whole shtick is that she is so evolved that she can only speak in quotations, which she then cites, like, oh, to heirs to humans, Shakespeare, England. <laughs> like, what? Which and she then the... gives up. Which she then gives up. Like... <laughs> well, then she, like, loses her powers and then is able to speak normally. I don't know. I feel like if you're incapable of speaking original thoughts, you can only quote other people. That seems like a step down in language evolution, not a step up. But And then the, the moment that you said fuck this movie is when I don't know for some reason she reacts to something Reese Witherspoon does and goes damn Trevor American like that is a fuck this movie kind of moment yeah like there are moments when I was watching this and I'm like I have to watch I can't like watch this at night I can't like make a night out of this I had to watch this in the morning uh like as I'm having my coffee just so I have the rest of the day uh but I noticed in this rewatch, it's like, oh, this is – the people that wrote this movie, they kind of didn't know what to do with some aspects of it and kind of thought they could get away with it because, like, oh, this is a kid's movie. One of them being the – I still can't remember his name. Uh, the main character's uh, love interest or best friend who kind of oh, just – the friend, the boring friend. wanders in. 
literally wanders in. Doesn't he, does not appear he in the school. He just wanders he doesn't in from con- the street. <laughs> he doesn't contribute at all to anything. In fact, he even says, like, I don't know why I'm here. <laughs> he even says that. And the second is uh, when Mindy Kalin, honestly, I can't believe I'm giving, like, the Transformers movie with, like, Bumblebee credit where they actually find quotes in television and history and movies to find what this character is feeling as opposed to just making up quotes by other people and her, like, I I know she quoted, like, Buddha and whatnot, but then she loses, like, even the writer is like, okay, she loses her, like, this is too hard. This is too yeah, hard. They give, like, up. I, they give up, and it's and I feel like the audience by then gave up. Well, the whole movie feels like they're making things up as they go along, which again is crazy because it is based off a book. But everywhere they go, and this is how this world works, and this is how this world works. Uh, like, it just seemed to be like them wandering around, and there's some special effects that are supposed to be beautiful and compelling, but it all falls flat because the story just is really hard to follow oh and then also just really uh curious interactions even in before you get to the fantastical scenes like when she has the one scene with the principal right like this girl is uh going through a hard time because her father has disappeared and she gets bullied for it and then she calls the principal's (laughs) office and the principal is like he's gone he's never coming back stop hoping that he's coming back because he's gone forever it's like jesus what is wrong with people in this movie that's another point the way uh the principal and the teachers talk about the these teachers kids too. who are being actively bullied and are like, hey, I love the teachers just standing outside, not having a cigarette. Like they're just they're just standing outside in the cigarette zone and just talking about how weird this this. Uh, I also did not like the fact that they called this kid by like his full name. I know he's Charles I, Wallace. I know he's movie. adopted. Like even Chris Pine is like Charles Wallace. I'm like. He is your son. Like, did the kid out of the kid? Did this five-year-old say, "I demand to be called by my"? Like, I found that. Call him Chuck. Yeah, call him like it. The whole movie, Charles Wallace, Charles Wallace, and Charles Wallace. He is a Charles young kid. Wallace. He is a young kid, and I don't want to like fault him for acting, but I don't think putting that kind of role as the as the. Uh, entity for the main villain as this like the life force for this oh, main yeah. villain it made it kind of i don't know it just hates a it strong awkward. word and and you must really hate this movie for it like, was awkward a lot of the times too moments that are awkward, trying to be profound yeah. and beautiful are really awkward like when the charles walls character caresses giant oprah winfrey's face that was really weird and yeah, when for most of the movie, the Charles Walsh character is this overly obnoxiously happy-go-lucky character, like, come on, let's go. And then he turns evil two-thirds of the way through, and then he's trying to be this mean, scary character. It all was just hard to make heads or tails of. It, it was just all handled very poorly and, in again, a very awkward, uncomfortable way. It's a fever so, dream. <laughs> yeah, basically. But any movie that's way too schmaltzy for me, is usually uh, a red flag that puts me off in a really bad way. So that's why I'm – and also the fact that I felt like I was on crazy pills because everyone else seemed to be trying to buy into this or trying to say, yeah, it is beautiful and compelling at times. And I'm like, what – at what point is this compelling or beautiful? I just – I didn't get it. So it's like one of those things where when you feel like you're 
uh, alone in your opinion, you kind of stew in it for a while and it kind of blows up and you kind of get more stubborn and adamant about it. That's how I'm kind of feeling about this movie. Well, it, uh, <laughs> yeah, you're right. There is like this kind of weird thing in the air of like you can't, even though both the rotten, the audience score and the critic score are both negative, uh, I, I, like Brie Larson did come out and say like, I, you don't want to hear what like people like us have to say about uh about this movie but i don't think kids like i think kids are if they're anything like us they're just as confused as we are like there are much i think everyone should be confused watching this there are much better fantasy movies that deal with these same kind of issues that handle it better i needed something to like hold on to i need like a central um groundwork of how things work in this fantasy right there needs to be something to latch on to as to when you go into these fantastical places how do things work in this universe? And um, some, some, uh, that's the only way I can put it. Something to hold on to. I just, in this movie, I've constantly felt lost because they go into all these different places where the rules are constantly changing. Yeah. And things just kind of look either weird or absurd or super colorful for the sake of it. So there was, again, nothing for me to hold on to or is really good fantasy movies kind of establish how the world works in, by showing it. And then so I kind of feel grounded and know how to navigate how that world works. In this in this case, I, I they never established anything. Yeah, so. no, it it uh, like I I had to remind myself. I'm like, oh yeah, this is like parallel universes that don't really. Is it about parallel universes? I mean, no, they Chris, were traveling the universe by channeling sound waves. Yeah, I Chris, think Chris Pine is stuck in the Hotline Bling music video set. He's like, stuck it, in some like DZ Discovery Zone play world. Yeah, and I'm like, I guess he hasn't starved to death over the last four years in here. Uh, like it just again, they kind of don't really establish how the rules work. So they go to this one place where he's kept the evil world and she has to find these invisible staircases to find where he is. Again, they just, when you, when you see things being made up as they go along, it's frustrating because there's so many other great fantasies or sci-fis where they really think through how things work and how that plays into the story. And it's more interesting to discover. It's more of a payoff when you discover things and here there was nothing for me to really get invested in or have pay off. So it was, it was, um, yeah, I, I, I get frustrated because that's like a lack of thought on where the creative process is like put more thought into this. Oh, and you know what this movie did too, just to kind of hammer in my frustration. They did this weird trend that movies were doing for a little while where before the movie starts in the movie theater, you get, like some of the lead actors and the director who show up and they're like, Hey, thanks for coming out to the movie. Thank you for coming to see and paying a ticket and supporting movie theaters. And I'm like, I'm here already. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. I know. Just get to the movie. Cause at that point you already have seen 25 minutes worth of trailers. And now you're getting this weird two minute sort of thank you from the creative team. And it's like a lot of work went into this movie and it just pays off when people come out to the theater to see it. And it's like, yeah, I know. I know how it works. I gave you my money. I'm here now. Play the goddamn movie already. Would you like it if, like, one of those is like, look, we only had $6 million. We did the best we could. Just, like, go <laughs> easy. Someone go apologizes. Easy. Yeah, like, what if a director is just like, go easy. Like, it wasn't, like, this was a tough shoot. <laughs> we did our best, damn it. 
I'm not saying that no effort went into this, but uh, I think they tried. I, I I blame the source material. And right. granted, I know people can like this movie. It stood. It's has, you know, pun intended. Stand, stood the test of time. Like it, it's been popular mm. since the '60s. But I think the source material is confusing, and the screenplay did not kind of made it worse. Right, and this is not the first adaptation of of this work so maybe i don't know maybe this is not the kind of thing that should be adapted to screen or at least not in the form of film and we're always we're we're ones to advocate for like miniseries so maybe you could do something like that probably it would like i would actually get to know these characters right and and uh again be able to establish how things work a little better uh, without just throwing us in there uh, so there you go. That's that's a wrinkle in time. My movie that I was like, this is worse than bad. <laughs> <It's okay. laughs> yeah, you hate's a strong word. That's why this hate's the... a strong word. And maybe like that's just kind of my hook for the premise of this episode. So strongly dislike. No, it, you always pick good again. Uh, you know, people did work on this movie and and put a lot of effort into it. So uh, again, not to totally crap on it, but just from again a conception point of view, it was very frustrating. No, you always pick good uh, ideas for bonus episodes, and like this one, this one, like this one was a bit challenging, just because the idea of like what needs to be elevated and ds de elevated. Right. Um, so that that kind of transitions into your pick for a movie that was genu- generally disliked, but you feel like warrants a stronger reaction down that slide of you know. Maybe, okay. Again, maybe hate, stronger dislike. Uh, and that pick by you is... Disney's Mulan, rated PG-13. Yeah. Um, so take us through at least your history. Because I, I only had seen this recently. I didn't really want to see Mulan myself, but I watched it for this discussion. Uh, and But you had seen it, obviously, before that. So take us through your experience watching Mulan. Um, okay, I'm kind of... I'm a little nervous right now, but the... Uh, it's a bit I, of a this. This is like a loaded movie. There's like a, quite a bit of well, I, 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 I'm, I'm not like Shanghaiing you of like why I chose this movie and because uh, <laughs> Shanghai, pun intended. Uh, I think that's the right term though. It, pun intended. It is, yeah. Um, but uh, hold on, serious face. Uh, well, real quick, have, actually, Mulan. Mulan what? does actually have a positive score from critics. It does. Actually, and, crazy and enough. I, w- I want to get into that uh, just in a bit, but it's I, – I, I was kind of excited about this movie in terms of all the Disney remakes. I actually – even the trailer was kind of like, oh, they are doing something different with it. And then – and then you read the history about this. Now, mm-hmm. this podcast has probably taught me, like, it's hard to, it's hard for me to hate a movie. I really kind of have mm-hmm. to, like, e- even, like, bad movies, I do think when people, if it has some form of entertainment, or we've talked about, like, Collateral Beauty, I don't even hate that, because we had fun watching it. I kind of get a level. kick out of how bad uh, that is. So I don't hate movies. So that, the challenging is, like, what's a movie that I, I think deserves hate? And the Mulan, the movie itself is mediocre to bad. I and I and I kind of, but I hated myself for watching this. Um, mm. But I and I would never have watched this if I, in 
if I didn't have a podcast and you didn't have a bonus episode talking about which movies should be hated. Um, there, what's going on right now, and I, and I, whatever platform I have, I actually do kind of feel like I, I should say something. For people that don't know or kind of do know, there is a group of people in China called the Uyghur Muslims, and they are being rounded up and being put in concentration camps, or for if you want to, don't use that word, re-education camps. They're being put in camps, and they are, it's, what we're experiencing right now in this world is a cultural genocide. A lot of countries, including our own, Trump and Biden administration have said this is a genocide happening there. And what, where Mulan factors into this is, look, I know Disney, the NBA, Blizzard, I, it's complicated on the, on the bad side. And they know if you want to make, there's a Chinese market that will make you a lot of money there. But Mulan filmed in Zhejiang, which is where those camps are. They filmed basically in the same place where Auschwitz or Dachau is. And not only that, they thanked in the thank yous, they thanked the security guards of those camps. Now, we just got reports that like, now it just weighs on my soul that, that, that this is happening. But the fact that this movie exists in 2020, I think we have like, people have been criticizing Disney for decades. And I think if you, as a person living in this world right now, we can criticize and talk about uh, Song of the South and its implications and just and its terrible history this is 2020 and this also like this filming this movie with these it's kind of morally reprehensible i am so yeah. it weighs on my soul and i i just want to bring attention to it because we did say never again and it just feels like we're allowing it to happen again it is is absolutely like i'm, I'm getting emotional it's, it's when you read about people that have made it out of these camps, it is terrible. And I don't like to be not funny or silly for this long, but this is, I don't know how you can call yourself a liberal or woke or progressive and not put this on the forefront of your issues. And, 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 I, and look, I, I'm not someone who has answers to this. I, and I love Disney. I would like if they, I, I, I love what they, I love the products that they put out and it, um, I think I just take it day by day with my relationship and how I go about watching them. But you can't deny that this movie made in 2020 is kind of the ethical and the moral reasons to not to, to hate this movie. It's just they should be absolutely bold, underlined, italics, ashamed of themselves because a and it also backfired on them because this movie, on top of having a virus, a pandemic. China did not like this movie either. So they didn't like the 1998 animated version either. They don't seem to be a fan of Americans telling Chinese stories. Yeah, they're hey, look into why China does not like Black Panther or they're not even. Oh well, they're, they they're, they have a lot of reasons for not liking a lot of American they're, things. They're they're worried about uh, Marvel is worried about because um, the trailer for Shang Chi did not get a mm-hmm. good review and Chloe Zhao is directing the Eternals and she has spoken out against China. So there, yeah. I think Disney and Marvel are kind of worried. I just read a, a, they don't know how that movie's going to, those movies are going to play or even get, are they even going to get uh, seen in China? 
Well, you know what? There's this. Thank you for letting me say. I'm so like it, my heart <laughs> no, is man, racing. No, man, that's a powerful. That's a powerful thing that you said there, and um, it's definitely worth saying because it's a it's this giant uh, elephant in the room with this movie. Whenever you you know, there, we we like a lot of things under the Disney umbrella there, but this movie is is there with all of this horrible history behind it, and in terms of uh, Hollywood's relationship now with China, you're right. It is um, a, a very hard thing to reconcile because, like for the last oh, for the last like ten fifteen years, uh, the the global box office is kind of how movies are measured successfully, and China plays a huge part into that. And so, a lot of times now when movies are being distributed into foreign markets there's this consideration of how to market to China. And then there's like all these really uh, shady sort of ways to accommodate that, right? Like removing certain characters from movie posters and promotional materials. And uh, again, like how, how do you, rec- I, I don't know. It's, it's tough. It's, it's, a, it's, it's, it's tough for us. Again, a, it's an observation. Not I'm not saying, it's an observation. I'm not. I'm not saying like what should be done or what shouldn't be done. Yeah. But it, it is. It is kind of this uh, weird integral part of the business of Hollywood. And again, how do you reconcile having to do business with a country that's maybe that is that is doing things that uh, should be stood up against? But again, is is a huge uh, contributor to the success or failure of a lot of movies that are made these days. I, I, I don't know. It's, it's um, complicated for us. Like it's a, we don't have yeah. any power. We don't have like, I mean, I, I think that's why it's like when I decided like, I'm going to do this movie there. It like, if I just spent this episode talking about the movie and the media, the movie is bland. It's mediocre. It's like, boring. It, but it, if you find yourself defending this movie or even liking it and the critics who did, it, it is like critically fresh and all that. I think they have some soul searching to do it. And that's right. what I really believe because there are layers to that. Like, you know, taking, taking John Boyega out of the, like whitewashing him out of the poster of uh, force awakens mm-hmm. or star Wars. Yeah. Uh, black like it's it, at the bottom of that is the genocide of the Uyghur Muslims and the fact that they filmed in the town and thanked the guards it just it's yeah I don't know I if I don't know how if I was part of that movie and like and and, and Grant I'm not like the actors that's one thing but the writers that's another thing but like. I don't know if I was like a producer on this film. I don't know how I could sleep at night. No, you're right. There, there was a conscious decision to to film there, and there's no way to ignore what was happening there. And yeah, you, know, you could um, you put this movie out there like it's any other movie, and it's it's not because of how it was filmed. So moving on, <laughs> please. <laughs> we like to we like to end things on a positive note, which is why we usually end these bonus episodes. Start with the negatives and then move on to the positives. Uh, so now movies that um, we feel like deserve more love, movies that were liked but we think should be loved. And so my pick for that uh, is the 2006 dramedy Stranger Than Fiction. Well, that sounds like a comedy. Rated PG-13. Uh, starring Will Ferrell, 
and this movie has a 73% approval on Rotten Tomatoes, which I think is way too low for this. I would agree. Uh, I it's it's like like to say 73 is to say it's okay, but to me, I think this is a great moving movie, and there's it's got a, a terrific cast, and it's for me a high point for Will Ferrell. Who who would ever think he would be a good choice for this part? And I thought he was perfect for the part. So my experience with this movie, I actually did see this in theaters in 2006. I think I might have seen it with my dad. We went to see it. I don't know. I I, I just I know I saw it in the theater. I know there weren't a lot of other people in the theater watching it. Because this is like the same year he made like Talladega Nights. Like people associate Will Ferrell with those kind of movies. And we talked at length about his filmography during our Step Brothers episode. And I mentioned this movie, but I just feel like this is doing a lot of really interesting things and it has a really uplifting message. I mean, sure, maybe the message of live your life before it's too late has been done a bunch of other times in movies, but it's really effective here. I like that there's a supernatural element that's not even explained as to why it's happening. It just is. And I don't need it explained. I feel like a lot of other movies or writers would try to explain like why, you know, Will Ferrell is a character basically in the novel of Emma Thompson's book and he hears her narration. Why does this happen? We don't know. Maybe there's some power in the typewriter she has. It's not explained. I don't need it explained because everything else about the movie just works. And uh, I just find Will Ferrell so compelling in this and he's so painfully relatable. Uh, so I, I would suggest all people watch this because it makes him so much more endearing as an actor to see that depth. And in a long line of traditional, uh, a long line of tradition of comedic actors showing their dramatic strengths when they want to. Yeah, this movie ages like fine wine. I, I think mm-hmm. it, with each viewing, it just it maybe it's because we get older, um, but I think this movie get just gets better. And also, I think the script is fantastic. It's it like is. one of those, like, damn, I wish I thought of that. <laughs> it's 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 a it's a kind of like a charming, funny premise. You know, that guy hearing this like narration in his head of his of his life, or you know, what's going on in his life, and to hear that, like, little did he know this would result in his death. Like, what? Little what? did he know. <laughs> I, but yeah. I like how he fought. Like, little did he know. And Dustin Hoffman's just like, little did he know. I wrote, I, like, there's something that's in the those key. little. That's the key. That's the the arc words of this. Like, little did he know. Mm-hmm. And, I, you know, there was one movie that we did cover, uh, that we did cover uh, once uh, in this season, uh, The Secret Life of Walter Mitty. Kind of mm-hmm. in the same vein, and you didn't yes. like that, but love this. I'm kind of curious. I think I know the reason why, but why mm. does this movie affect you differently than why did... Uh... Good question. So you're right. I never really thought about putting Secret Life of Walter Mitty in a comparison with Stranger Than Fiction, but it actually that is a good comparison because Stranger Than Fiction is much more successful at executing that sentiment of like live your life than the secret life of Walter Mitty. And I think there's a few reasons. One, the script, the stranger than fiction is a lot smarter. It's not as pandering as the secret life of Walter Mitty. It's has a tighter story. 
there's like a, just a stronger development of the characters like they're more identifiable it's more specific it's not as broad as Walter Mitty and I don't know it just uh it's just tighter it's just it's just more specific and grounded whereas Walter Mitty was a little too uh it wasn't specific enough and it didn't flesh out the characters well enough no I and you answered exactly how I thought you would just because it is yeah the script is like it's I don't want to say small stakes because he is trying to like his life it's his life and he's not trying but it's very single focus as opposed to I think Mm -hmm. Walter Mitty and I and I I did like it but Walter Mitty is the big picture of like it tries to go too big i mean he's running he's running from volcano eruptions and it's like it's too much we're in this he actually has a relationship and learns the guitar right like he's actually and it's it's like the little things that make your life more fulfilling right like uh going out on a limb and you're trying to talk to that person that you think is out of your league and again picking up a hobby like a guitar and <clears throat> just breaking out of your normal routine. You're not counting every single little brush stroke <laughs> when you brush your teeth. Yeah. I mean, little little touches to you I really like. There's some interesting graphics in this movie uh, that capture uh, the um, that capture Will Ferrell's mindset in how precise he is and everything he does. Is I guess it's almost like OCD behavior his character has uh, at the onset of this movie. Also, little things like the way. His apartment is decorated. It feels like a hotel room, right? There's like no, there's it's like a bland apartment, and it's very rigid. It's like very like straight lined. And then when he moves into his friend's apartment, it's like this very modular, shapeless sort of <laughs> building. His... Like little things like that are are smart touches that can really elevate a movie. For, very and, minimalist. And warrant warrant rewatching. Yeah, yeah. It's it's just smart all the way through. And again, it's charming. The other characters bring a lot. I think Maggie Gyllenhaal is really strong in this, in her character. She's like very well defined. Uh, same thing with like Dustin Hoffman. Um, even like you know Queen Latifah, I feel like brings, um, like, an air to her character that could have been more forgettable. Like, uh, I don't know. She she brings like a strength to the character and and an agency. Uh, to this like over the top writer of Ever Thompson's character, yeah, everyone's bringing something to the table here, and it all works. Yeah, there are two moments in the movie that like still stick out for me, and uh, just and kind of elevate it into what into what why we think why you especially uh, should um, this be a classic is uh, the first is when Dustin Hoffman tells uh, Harold Crick that he you have to die. This is a masterpiece. Mm-hmm. Like, the, like, yeah. like for the good of the art, you have to die. And, and Harold reads it on the bus and kind of accepts his fate almost. Like, yeah. and kind of, you know, you're, you're kind of like giving up everything that you did. You're giving up the girl, you're giving up kind of the life that you, he, he, he was making for himself. And then, mm-hmm. and then the one that kind of, really solidifies it for me is when Emma Thompson meets Dustin Hoffman's character. And he's like, well, what do you think of, I, I changed the story and also clever twist. I don't maybe mm-hmm. want to spoil it, but clever twist. Yeah. Uh, 
and the story is just it's okay and she's like well, mm-hmm. you know I, i'm okay with that like i've i've yeah. wrote, like and there's something she like she's also going through an identity crisis too mm-hmm. like despite, yeah she has a whole arc too as a writer tr- struggling with uh writing this book and coming up with ideas and you get into her head a lot which which i really like and i and that's what like I, this is the third time i've probably seen this movie and i think probably it has to do with me getting older and just trying to do what i love while also be the person who like you know i you know work like not not have a chance to do what i love and just trying to find mm-hmm. that time management and it just it's always i don't know this movie does hit harder in good ways the more you watch it and yeah exactly making the time to do the things you love which makes life all the more worth it uh and can really add things into your life that you would never expect so uh really like um again smart tight a very uh well executed message and overall great performances like nothing i have nothing but super positive things to say about this so i'm a big advocate for stranger than fiction everyone should go see it and it should be a classic uh so uh we can now i think move on to your pick for a movie that people just kind of like that should be getting more love and that is the 2016 uh coming of age movie sing street in theaters april 15th Oh, I love this movie. Uh, and the thing, I don't think people know about this movie. Uh, right, because this movie actually does have very high reviews, but the thing is, uh, for, like, I think a number of reasons we can get into, it did not really catch a lot of attention here in, in the States. Uh, you know, this is, like, an Irish film, for one. And I really thank you. I hadn't heard of it myself, and you you, you told me about this movie, for obviously, for this episode. And I'm really glad I watched it. I, I would watch it again. I think it's great, and I would tell other people to watch it. The music will be stuck in your head. I, I've been listening to this, uh, some of the songs, especially Drive It Like You Stole It. That's now That has found its way into my uh, music this week just because I, it's, so, uh, it's so addicting. But I, the reason I, I love coming-of-age stories, especially really good ones like uh, it's they kind of transcend the the YA label of it. Um, but this one is just, it brings it back to a time when, like, you could do anything and fa- mm-hmm. you're, like, you're falling in love, you have these dreams, you, like, you know, making movies or skits or doing stuff with your friends, these friends Music who wanted to videos. make a band. Yeah. And yeah. It's a, this kid whose life is kind of falling apart otherwise finds love in music and you know of course he falls in love for the first time and i don't know i feel like if this movie was made any other time it would be a instant classic but it's it's shocking to a, a point to me that this movie i bet a lot of you listening have never even heard of this movie it's free on amazon yeah. with commercials uh <laughs> but it's it warms your heart it's it's well it acted it's well acted. It's well written. The songs are excellent, and it hits all the right emotional n- points, and doesn't do it in a small two way. Like even the brother, I like. Was oh, he's excellent. a great character. Yeah, 
yeah, you know the because it should be worth saying it's all original music. Like these kids form a yeah. band, and all the music in it is like original and really catchy. And this you know, this takes place in the eighties, and it has a real rock and roll vibe to it that I really was digging. Like so, this kid goes to this really tough. Uh, like all boys Catholic school and it's like really rough and he's having a tough time and it's just like this really great energy throughout the movie that matches the the music that they're making and the time that they were in right this is like the 80s this is when music videos are first getting popular and uh, it's it's kind of endearing to watch this main character emulate the style of all these <laughs> rock and roll stars his that he hair sees. changes like, like, yeah, yeah. He first, you know, he makes himself look um, like Duran Duran, then he makes himself look like The Cure, and he's he's like, you know, he's becoming influenced. And what's also kind of funny too is at the beginning of this movie, he actually has like no uh, inclination towards music at all, and it's only from sheer happenstance that he decides to like start a band for you know wooing this girl. It all starts with a girl. Ulterior motives here. But then it becomes like the main thing he does, and also a really rock and roll ending too. Like they just leave. Like it's like it's like Born to Run. It's like we gotta get out of this town. Let's just book it and see what happens. I really dig the spirit of that. And maybe it's the music. It's or the way it's shot. I got. I'm like you're you're rooting for like you know, like they're both young, but you're rooting for the like you're you you feel like the brother who's who drove them there he like you know who's just like you know fists in the air like you could do this yeah. like you you're rooting for these two kids who are going off to london who have who don't know anybody or have any money but i right. you're i you become invested in this this kid's journey and i'm so everyone it's even everyone is like supportive even what they did with the bully it's like the bully mm-hmm. had like it's like, he gets okay. redemption, right? He he gets something like he's like oh, you know he's the classic '80s you know tro- high school bully, and mm-hmm. it's, you know you see a little bit of his home life, and it's like you want to be you know we need a roadie, and I think there's even something with that. It's just like yeah, it's like there's a little touches, right? It's like the to little give, things for me. To, to, yeah, when when that that bully is actually proud of himself of the job he's doing during their concert of. Yeah, kicking the guy off stage and uh, giving them like you know the, helping them out with their instruments and stuff like it, it. That's all very sweet. I love their music video making. Like when they w- make the first music video, <laughs> the riddle of the model. All, yeah, it's just it's it's very cute how all of them because there's like what like six or seven of them in this band, and they're all kind of doing these funny little quirky things like the one kid with the keyboard gets like he tries to position himself so he's like more in frame <laughs> and then like you know the one guy for some reason brings vampire teeth and they're dressed all eclectically like it's there's um yeah, it's a lot of character-based humor yeah that and they pays ha- off they have that stranger things like chemistry where they like they mm-hmm. definitely i feel like they all became like friends during this shoot and also they reacted how kids not even specifically in the 80s, how boys would react to, like, the costume. Like, I only have a cowboy costume. Or, yeah. like, you know, like, or, like, how they I would totally react to right. makeup. Uh, yeah. Like, the, the whole thing. And then thing, they're like, all wearing the eye makeup in the music video. There's, it's the little yeah. things that... Uh, well, again, you mentioned it brings yeah. back a time when, you know, people would do this with their own friends making videos for whatever your own fun music videos or your own videos uh home movies 
and you just kind of get together whatever you have, right? You just yeah. like, what do we have to wear for this? And uh, whatever you can fish out of your house is what you bring to this. So yeah, that's why in this music video, you have someone dressed as a cowboy and someone with vampire teeth and yeah, all that is, uh, it's, it's very close to home. Uh, so in, yeah, in some respects, it's like kind of a timeless coming of age story, but it also fits very well in the context of this 80s rock music uh, era. And also, I guess what was going on at the time in Ireland, like it was like a very rough time economically. And it's like, we just, we just got to get out of here. There's like nothing for us here. Again, it's just a very rock and roll attitude. Like just go for it and see what happens. And the reason I pick, because I think both of our movies kind of, I kind of created like a new section of classics because between when I watched this movie and now, a lot of movies kind of did pop up. I'm like, oh, that should be a classic. No, that should, Mm -hmm. like, I feel like everyone has those movies. Everyone, uh, people listening to this, you have those movies in your life that, like, that should be elevated into classics that you think of uh and the reason i chose sing street is not only nobody knows about it like it it, com- well, it completely went unnoticed I, I watched it on netflix it was the last movie i watched of the year i remember like i think i was about to head out to a new year's eve party but i was killing time and i watched this and i'm like i'm so happy that was the last movie i watched of 26 2016 or 2017 i just remember watching on netflix and I remember telling people at the New Year's party, like, have you ever, no one heard of it. And no one's still no. heard of it. <laughs> yeah, that's a shame that people aren't as aware of this. But the title did sound familiar when you told me about it. I'm like, hmm, Sing Street. Maybe I did hear about this when it came out. I don't know. And then it hit me when I was reading about this. This was supposed to be a Broadway musical that would have opened last year had it not been for the pandemic. And hopefully it does open up later this year when the rest of Broadway opens up. And watching this, I'm like, yeah, this totally would work as a Broadway musical. I mean, there's kind of like this thing of taking uh, like Irish movies uh, that have a musical element and making them into Broadway musicals like there's once. It's by the same guy, too. Oh, okay. There you go. And then also, did Billy Elliot take place in Ireland? Or that was like in England, maybe? That was – That might have been England. Oh God! I, I don't want to say anything controversial. I was going to say we split the difference and say Wales, but I, 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 I don't. <laughs> no, we do have some, we do have some listeners. I always we do have some people who listen in the UK, and I don't want to upset anybody. But I, that might I'm take not place entirely in England, sure. In yeah. general, I think it's, I think it's England. Yeah, Irish UK um, movies that have a musical element, and then you make it into a, a successful Broadway musical. Uh, there's like some weird trend with that, but I mean, it works. All those movies were right for musicals and this one certainly is. So I would definitely be interested in seeing that. I'm imagining all the songs being big numbers. Like the one song when they're rehearsing for the concert and every, and then you see the fantasy in the kid's head, like that could be a really great show stopping number. And you get to see Littlefinger dance. Yeah. Aiden Gillen in this. Probably the most recognizable actor for American audiences. We're kind of doing a, a. It's funny enough that the first episode that we did this season was uh, Bohemian Rhapsody, mm-hmm. and then we go back and not only do you get Aiden Gillen in this, but Lucy Bolt uh, Boyton, uh, the girl, the main girl. She was the love interest or the main girl in Bohemian Rhapsody. 
That's right. That's right. We're ending uh, on a book circle. Book, uh, book, bookends here. Bookends. Yeah, full circle moment here uh, for our spring season of divided films. So uh, yeah, that's where maybe maybe people in New York, if you've seen the ads for Sing Street, that you know were li- that would have led up to its premiere, it would be premiered. Then maybe the title sounds familiar. Uh, but otherwise, yeah, check it out, guys. Check out Sing Street. Check out Stranger and, Than Fiction. Yeah, if you haven't already. Uh, so yeah, given given more love to movies that deserve them, that we feel deserve deserve them. Uh, so yeah, the great uh, great discussion here, Keith. We covered a lot. Yeah, great season. We got, yeah, thank you to I, all our guests and all the people that have listened to us. And, now, um. I feel like this is probably the season we've agreed with the audience more often than the critics because I found that in the past a lot of times we agree with critics more often than not and I don't want to come off as too snobby so I'm glad we're getting a little more balanced here if anything we're halfway we're like split that's that that's that's what I I feel a lot of times when I see these divides I, I can see both sides of it um so we'll, we'll see where that trend leads and when we eventually you know feel like we've uh can conclude the podcast as a series we'll see where we finally landed overall oh i i think we so i think I, we've done the magic of being the voice of the people and of the critics <laughs> yeah yeah exactly you know advocate for both and everyone's always you know each side has has their points for every movie um so we'll continue with that uh, and they definitely have some movies in mind already for next season. So that'll come this fall. So keep an eye out for that. Uh, so and our 50th there, episode. Yes, we will approach our 50th episode next fall, which is exciting. Uh, so a fun la- uh, uh, an exciting landmark for us to hit. So thanks, everyone, for listening to all of our episodes. And I hope everyone enjoys their summer. And keep an eye out next fall for our fifth season of Divided Films. So thanks a lot, everyone, and uh, see you next time.